Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the December issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled The Third Quarterly Report on Levels of Negotiated Trade by Region Under the Industry's 75% Rule. To discuss this article, I'm joined today by the author, Dr. Elliot Dennis, who's a livestock marketing and risk management economist at the University of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Dr. Dennis, in this article, you highlight and go back over some of what's occurred since early this year when some new rules were put in place to encourage or lay a framework for basically having better information or more information related to what's going on with cattle trade. Help us understand some of the background in terms of why these rules were put in place, what's the purpose of these rules, and what might be happening with this whole situation as we go forward? Yeah, so this was the report that I wrote up about was about the NCBA 75% rule that went into effect January 1st. And this was, like you said, Aaron, a really a framework to try to encourage negotiated cash. And really, as we know, there's many ways that we can sell fat cattle. One of them is negotiated cash where we, we negotiate a price in between us. We can sell them uh, on a formula, which we prearrange. Those can have premiums associated with it or not based upon quality grade. We can forward contract those, right? We can negotiate it, uh, the base price on the grid. That's called a negotiated grid. And then even within those, we can decide if we're going to sell them live or dressed, right? And so really what this framework is was trying to do was trying to encourage people to uh, negotiate more cash cattle. And one of the reasons why this happens is because uh, there's different areas that have uh, levels of negotiated cash. If we're comparing, let's say, Nebraska um, to the Texas Homer region, Nebraska negotiates about 35% of all their cattle that are, that are sold. Texas is more in like the 7 10% range. And there's two things that, that matter here. The first is that when people use formulas, they have a base price. So this is kind of like this, the average price that you'll receive. And then you receive premiums and discounts associated with that. Well, some of the issue is that people say, well, that base price is set with a negotiated cash. And so um, if that uh, base price is uh, basically not representative of your region, then perhaps you're, you're getting a higher price than you should. So if we're using the Nebraska weighted average price in Texas, then we're receiving the premiums for N Nebraska cattle, even though we're in Texas. So these kind of differences in negotiated cattle and beef quality differences by region has really spurred on kind of this desire to come to mandating how much uh, negotiated cash should be in each region. So this framework was put in place last January, and you've been tracking what's occurred in terms of meeting the requirements of that framework through the third quarter. Give some perspective of what's happened so far this year and what might that indicate for where we're headed? Yeah, so this is the industry's response to, to this uh, issue that we're having with a negotiated cash and really only the first quarter violated from the cattle feeding side. 
NCBA has two sections within the 75% plan. One is based upon the cattle feeding. One is based upon the packer. The packer information still has not been released. Um, and so technically all three quarters have violated, but if we're just looking at the, uh, the cattle feeding side, only the first quarter has really violated. But this has really spurred on a larger conversation in the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate about uh, providing more information to make decisions, particularly around formulas. Uh, it looks like the U.S. House is likely to pass a cattle contract library, which would basically say if you sell uh, cattle that are formula, the packing plant has to reveal the types of contracts they use. Really what this desire is to allow people to see what other contracts are out there and perhaps negotiate with their, with their packer. So that's out of the House of Representatives. The other bill that's in the um, U.S. Senate is the Fisher-Grassley bill, which is looking at actually mandating certain regional minimums. That looks like it's going to come uh, for a hearing and potential vote sometime in the January-February timeframe. So these are some real issues that are going to affect both uh, feedlots throughout the U.S. and also cow-calf producers. And what we know through economics is that through the theory of derived demand is that anything that increased costs further up the supply chain ultimately gets passed down in the result of lower prices. So we're not really sure how this regional framework might impact prices. I think there's a lot of discussion about there, uh, but I think anytime we start modifying the way that we do business, we just have to be aware of the benefits and also the drawbacks. Do you think about this situation and you think about cattle feeders, you think about cow-calf producers, what are some things you think they need to know and understand as they consider what's happening with these two bills, as they consider what might be the implications for that as they look at their own operations? Yeah, from their own operation standpoint, if you're a cow-calf producer, there's not, there's not a whole lot that can be done, uh, mainly because this legislation is happening at the feedlot level, and it really has to do with the feedlot packer relationship. And so there's not a whole lot that cow-calf producers can be done, but certainly the effects of that policy will be, uh, will be felt in the feeder cattle market, regardless of, of the location that you raise feeder cattle. So even if you're in Kentucky and you, you raise feeder cattle down there, it has a potential impact on feeder cattle prices, even though there are no large feedlots in that area. For the feedlots, it, it has a bit more um, teeth because it, it's going to really mandate how fat cattle are sold. And so some of those things is, you know, kind of thinking through that, how does this affect risk management? How does this potentially affect my basis patterns are also some of the things that I've been thinking about as related to this policy. Anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for producers to know and understand? In, in economics, what we'd say is that uh, there is a role for government intervention if there are market distortions. And so I think as an industry, I think they, we have to decide if, you know, this is something that we want the government to step in and, and to regulate. And what we know with government regulation is once it's in, it tends to stay. But if we feel like there's benefits to it and, and a large enough majority feel like there's benefits to, to having these regional minimums, regardless of what those drawbacks are, I think... Um, it will be pushed forward. 
However, if there's kind of a majority that, that don't feel like the, the benefits uh, do not outweigh the, the costs or potential downside to this, I think this will kind of die in, in the House and Senate. But overall, there seems a, a desire to do something. Um, and the, kind of the desire to do that is, is pretty urgent. So uh, it will be interesting to see what these next several months hold and potentially some major implications for the industry moving forward. Thanks again for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, you can find the article at the beef.unl.edu website. In that article, there's more depth and information on the topic discussed.